This is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. It's the best podcast about the Green Bay Packers. I'm Mike Fleischman. That's Matt Mellomsetter. We are recording in the beautiful Loop Studios, downtown Chicago, Illinois, in the offices of Radio DePaul Sports. It's week 18. I don't know if we... 19. 20. It's week four. It's the playoffs. It's week 420. And uh, <laughs> it's... It's divisional week, and we're here. The Packers are not, but no. we are. We're a podcast about the Green Bay Packers and about the NFL in general. Uh, Matt, we'll start up on the top with the thing that happened. Yeah, like pretty much immediately after I published last yeah, week's no, podcast, basically like an hour after, in which we it. sat around speculating about who would become the next head coach of the Packers. This thing happens to me because. We sat around speculating about haha Clinton Dix and the future of stuff, and then they got traded. We sat around speculating about Jermaine Whitehead, and then he got cut. Mm-hmm. I, I push publish yeah, and on then the podcast, and then things happen. And then things happen. So, yeah, about an hour after I published the podcast, new head coach of the Packers, Matt Lafleur, coming from out of nowhere. Yeah, and he is now in charge of some shit here at here at Lambeau. We're not at Lambeau, so I just used that mm-hmm. wrong. But uh, LaFleur, new head coach, coming at, from the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans position. So a guy who just spent a year under Mike Vrabel mm-hmm. there. And we got to see, we actually got to see the Titans yeah. back in preseason. I wanted to start with this because I remember at the time, probably on this show being like, yeah, they're going to be all right. They run some sharp plays. Yeah. They've got some players. Hope they don't have to play Blaine Gabbert. Yeah, no, and then and they then, played Blaine Gabbert yeah. for a third of their snaps. Yeah, put the uh, put they, like the echo effect on my voice <laughs> just as I get to hope they don't have to play Blaine Gabbert. So uh, that happened to them. So Yeah, and also when Marcus Mariota was playing, he he had such bad nerve damage uh, in his arm and elbow that he couldn't feel his hand when he was throwing. Wow. Uh, yeah, so LaFleur's offense in Tennessee this year, uh, I think their offensive rankings are not kind of really what Packers fans need to put uh, much stock into. I think it needs to be how he utilized his personnel. And also his previous accomplishments. He was uh, in Washington working as a quarterback's coach or assistant quarterback's coach with RG3 uh, when he won his Rookie of the Year. He was also instrumental in uh, Kirk Cousins' development in Washington. Uh, he then followed Kyle Shanahan to uh, Atlanta where he coached, um, he was the quarterback's coach for uh, Matt Ryan in his MVP season in 2016. He then went to be the offensive coordinator in LA and uh, helped completely overhaul that offense in 2017 from one of the league's worst under Jeff Fisher to one of the league's best and brightest under uh, LaFleur and Sean McVay. Uh, he then went to Tennessee and had a, a rankings-wise not great year, but uh, that Tennessee offense was bad. They lost their best we- best receiving yeah. weapon in week one with Delaney Walker. Um, I mean, Corey Davis is their best receiver. He's not anything super special. Um, what we saw a lot over this year was LaFleur transforming a team and uh, in the back half of this season, the Titans were really a, a, a force to be reckoned with running the football with Derrick Henry. And that is part of what makes this hire so appealing immediately. One is the offensive overhaul <laughs> phrase that yeah. you keep using is that he's found a way to get some, some good, good performances out of good players and, and also get some good schemes to maximize strengths. Yeah. And when we when we were talking frustratedly all through this season about the Packers, frequently we were talking frustratedly about how we felt the run game was being misused in mm-hmm. Green Bay. And this is a guy who first and foremost seems to understand running and play action pass. Yeah, which absolutely. I think when you look at two running backs the way the Packers have. Yeah. I'm coming right back into my, you have two running backs yeah. <laughs> speech. Um, but when you have two running backs like that, and when you have a passer who is as gifted at play action as Rogers is. Yeah. And I'm not talking just about like throwing it, but I'm talking about the actual motions and mechanics yeah. of play oh. action passing, which is something that I used to marvel at him doing. Yeah. Back in the, the 20, 
the 2010 to 2014 era in in particular. Yeah. I felt that they had some very inventive ways of doing it, and he sold play action so effectively mm-hmm. back then. And watch some film from him doing play action this year where he sort of extends the ball Gets real and lazy with pulls it. it back. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain a certain laziness to it this year. But those those particular things with the Packers have, are what made them successful. And boy, it'd be nice to see a couple of running backs used properly. Yeah, and we were both checking out a video of Lafleur's schemes for Derrick Henry. Yeah. Which I don't want to I don't want to talk about Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones in the same sentence. No, but I think I think Derrick Henry kind of is along the lines of a Jamal Williams type running back and I think that the way that Lafleur it's more important that we look at the way that Lafleur utilized his personnel over the season to accommodate their strengths. Mhm. I think if we want to get into any direct comparisons for LaFleur's previous offenses in this Packers offense, I think the real good one is the Rams offense from two years ago. I think Todd, Todd Gurley works in a, a similar slashing, bending, running style as Aaron Jones. He's able to stop on a dime and change direction. He's able to bounce off. He's good in uh, in the passing game. He's good at catching the ball. Um, I think Aaron Jones is going to see his touches just skyrocket next year. Yeah, and a guy like a guy like Aaron Jones, if... He's, he came into the league not renowned as a pass catcher. He showed that he's improved at it mm-hmm. in this last year. I think it's something that that running backs are being asked to do so much more these yeah. days. And like a lot of things, the Packers catching passes out of the backfield was sort of telegraphed by who was in the backfield. Yeah. Very much like tight end positions were telegraphed by who was out there. Yeah, Absolutely last year but I think I think this year might be different I think the Rams have continued on that path we saw it this year the way they beat the Packers and the way they beat other teams is that they spread them out sideline to sideline yeah whether it's through run and and it's frequently everyone it's not just wide receivers out on the boundaries they bring other people out there they'll clear out space by sending the wide receivers out and then sudden suddenly bring someone else out underneath mm-hmm. You have to guard sideline to sideline, and it puts a lot of pressure on the guys who start lined up inside and have to go out there with them. Yeah, you can absolutely do that with with Williams and yeah. Aaron Jones. Absolutely, and it's not just guarding. They make they don't just make you guard sideline to sideline. They make you guard every single level. Of the mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the Rams will take shots deep. The Rams will take shots over the middle. The Rams will take shots to the sidelines. Fifteen yard outs, fifteen yard ins, five yard outs, five yard ins, sweeps, screens. They do everything and. This Packers offense, in kind of over the last few years with Aaron Rodgers, the offense is kind of stifled into ISO routes along the sidelines. We very rarely see a Packers offense that attacks the middle consistently over the game. Um, and I think LaFleur is going to try and drive an offense that attacks every single level uh, of the defense and every single part of the field. Yeah, and as much as... As much as I came to realize, and especially you were bringing me around last week on yeah. on the idea of Sean McDaniel's coming in, I'm. It's nice to have someone who the first thing that you talk about, or the second paragraph behind your lead, yeah, isn't. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Or, despite what happened in the past, dot yeah. dot dot. It's it's yeah. nice to have someone without that that baggage on them come into town. With Absolutely. with a fresh start, and you know, who knows what's going to happen? I just, it's an interesting fresh start in that you've got to replace a thirteen year Packers favorite, yeah, with somebody, yeah, <laughs> like, with someone has to get tabbed to do that job. And I don't know if this is going to be, I don't know if Lafleur is going to end up being well regarded, or if he's going to be a a Ray Rhodes, yeah. Or or a Mike Sherman, a yeah. guy who who was there and, and didn't find effectiveness, but someone's got to be tapped to do it. And well, he he sure seems to have the temperament to yeah. be able to to stand up. You're not going to get a lot of media scrutiny in Green Bay. You're not going to get a lot of tabloid coverage, <laughs> but you have to stand at that podium nonetheless. And you yeah. you have to be in that community. It's a little bit different in that like Green Bay has a neat little sort of sort of re redid downtown right by the river there. Yeah, and uh, I, one of my favorite Green Bay memories is sitting at a little coffee shop and a big blaze orange Hummer drives by and everyone's like, Gilbert, 
and it's Gilbert Brown <laughs> driving his orange Humvee around downtown. <laughs> like you're kind of in that community yeah. a little bit more. It it seems very much like a football oasis. Mm-hmm. Um, where guys go to kind of escape the craziness of the NFL and just play football. Yeah, it's it has its own set of pressures because mm-hmm. you're just kind of right there in it. I think that's part of what made McCarthy so successful is that he you know he met a nice girl from Green Bay and he m- married and settled down there. And yeah, all that such as all that stuff as well. It's part of what endeared him to the fan base, mm-hmm. especially locally. Um. That's it's got its own set of challenges, and and Lafleur seems like a guy who's extremely well well liked, and and you know kind of extremely I don't want to say like simple minded, but single minded. Yeah, he's that, a like, football this, guy. Yeah, this guy's this guy's a football guy. Yeah, who does football and and, and you football know, only. Yeah, he might uh, he might stop doing football to think about high school football. Sure, <laughs> to think about yeah, yeah. something I, I I don't know what. Uh, yeah, no, I I. RG3 uh, commented on the hire as, like, he called LaFleur a great coach and a better guy. Uh, I mean, and they hadn't been together in years, so him coming out and saying that, I think, is is pretty special. It, what we've seen, I think, really has been a lot of, uh, like, insiders and NFL minds being pretty uh, happy with this hire, and a lot of, uh, I think, l- less football-minded people getting a little bit uh, upset or confused with this hire. And I think that it, it is a thing of, of, of hiring a head coach is not just like hiring a, a position for a job, you know, where you look for the most qualified, yeah. the highest hiring a head coach. Like you are kind of looking for like the next up and coming superstar. I think it's very much like looking for a quarterback is like if all the pieces are there, sure. Bring in like a Nick Foles or like a an established like, steady quarterback bring in like an established steady coach if you're in a rebuild if you're in a situation where everything kind of needs to get turned over like you got to try something new you got to try somebody who doesn't have all of this experience and have previous tape down have it all up in the zeitgeist like Matt LaFleur is new to NFL head coaching he's relatively new to play calling he's a mind that hasn't been seen yet in the NFL as a play designer and a play caller in the role of a head coach. I think sometimes you got to take shots and we'll see if this shot works out. I think it will. It's, it's an interesting one. And there definitely were some celebrity names. Yeah. Out, out available. McDaniels is going to remain with the Patriots because he was pretty much Packers job or bust. Yeah. Which is an interesting tack to take. We saw that tech not work for uh, one, Mr. Mike McCarthy, mm-hmm. who I'm sure we'll be seeing on our, our, our cable televisions. Yeah. This oh, God, this next yeah, season, sure. as he's not going to work, but um, you know, there's there was a bunch of a bunch of flip arounds and and change ups and such. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Broncos got Vic Fangio, yeah, which is a a pretty big name. The Jets got Adam Gase, yeah, I which think is also a big another a big, big name for to have Sam Donald as quarterback. Yeah. I think Sam Donald's gonna have a great year next year. Yeah, there's a a lot of interesting move Arians. Went to the Buccaneers, right? Arians to the Buccaneers. Yeah. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury. There, there, to... remember, I'm going to bring back my own, uh, my my own joke yeah. of that. Uh, it's not comfortable on the sidelines in Green Bay. Yeah. No. When I was talking about Bruce Arians, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not comfy. He's not going to go there. It's a little bit more comfortable on the sidelines in Tampa Bay. In Tampa yeah. Bay. The weather's nicer. For uh, I don't know why I don't know why I see Arians as like this like shuffleboard playing retiree, other than the because that's that his mood. He is, that's he he's a older, grumpy, yeah, angry shuffleboard playing retired head coach. And I I think sort of his like his very retired style, yeah, with the like the designer glasses and the and the little <laughs> the, the little page the boy hat. caps or yeah. berets or whatever is is whatever he's wearing. He's yeah, guy. yeah, that sort of the. It's not that same cap that like Sam Jackson was like super a into for two decades. Yeah, no, it's like a it's like a newsies hat. I always think of it as. Yeah, so it, he's he's very much got that sort of retired like let's hit the golf yeah. course look to him. <laughs> so, uh, Florida, Florida's yeah, a good spot no, Florida's for him. A great spot for him. But he's yeah, uh, the do. Cardinals got uh, Kingsbury. Yeah, I think an interesting hire. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it'll work out. I think I like it. I think I'm interested in it, but I, I don't know. He he seems. He hasn't really seen much success, but I think his play calling and his ability to groom quarterbacks is proof. I think his his play design and his ability to 
uh, to groom quarterbacks is proven. And so it, it makes sense for an Arizona team that's trying to get the most out of uh, Josh Rosen. Um, but God knows if he's able to run a team. Because running a, a professional team in the NFL is a much different task from college. I mean, sure. co- college is so much about like recruiting and being a people person. And you're not just recruiting the players, you're recruiting the parents. And you're recruiting the families. And you're pitching everything. The NFL is not like that. And so I, I think sometimes we don't see people have success in college and then go on to have success at the NFL lo- level just because of the difference in player acquisition. Um, I don't know enough about Cliff Kingsbury and his time in uh, college to know if that will project to the NFL, but uh, seems like a an interesting hire nonetheless. When you're looking at Packers offensive coordinator hires... They didn't get Todd Monken. Nope. He's joining Bruce Arians that down, been exciting. down in down in Florida. Nope. No, Monken. Is that wrong about that? Monken was oh. in Tampa Bay. He Cle- left. Oh, Cleveland Browns. Yeah, he's he's yep. going to Cleveland. Thank you. I it's in front of me on the screen. That's okay. Sometimes it's yeah. a lot. Sometimes it's <laughs> yeah, a lot. There's a, there's a lot going on on the screen. There's at least two hundred words on the screen right now. And I have to pick which ones I read. <laughs> uh yeah, so he's going to He's going to the Cleveland Browns. Um, they requested permission to interview Mike LaFleur. Yeah, did who, not get uh, it. I was going to say no relation to uh, to he Matt LaFleur, but actually his brother. <laughs> that would be a Mike and Dan D'Antoni situation <laughs> developing if that were to happen. The Redskins did not grant permission for that interview. Uh, I think he's in San Francisco. I think he's wow. with Shan- I think he's with Shanahan. I think Shanahan took him. Uh, right. Yeah, they are. Because I was right about the permission part. But. Yeah, correct about the permission part. Wrong about the staff he was working for. I think there was another uh, uh, San Francisco assistant that the Packers requested and also got denied. Shanahan's only letting people go for Mike coach. McDaniel. Yeah, Mike McDaniel. We we need people named McDaniel. We need or we need one McDaniel yeah. on the staff. Uh, I think Mike is no relation to Josh. I think they're different. Okay, they're different. I think it's Josh McDaniels, Mike McDaniel. Different, so no Mc- relation, different people. Uh, and also not related to Mike Daniels. <laughs> also not related to Mike Daniels, uh, the Packers' right end. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know what this Packers staff is going to look like. Uh, I'm sad about the departure of James Campen, who is the offensive line coach. Uh, he's also in Cleveland now, so Cleveland is basically just uh, previous Packers assistants. Boy, the story of Mike McCarthy, you thought for sure, as soon as the Packers fired him after his team lost at home to the worst team in the NFL, yeah, that like it just seemed destined to be the Cleveland Browns yeah, picking no. him up because the Cleveland Browns love guys who lose at home to the worst team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Because if if you hire a head coach that loses at home to the worst team in the NFL, that means that you're not the worst the team worst in the team NFL. in the NFL. Um, it just by by de- by yeah. defining property it. it it creates something, something upward trending in your organization, and th- the way of the Browns has been to just snap up these guys from the Packers as soon mm-hmm. as possible, kind of trying to recreate the Packers. And it's interesting because it seemed that McCarthy, for what it's worth, seemed completely focused on getting the Jets job, yeah. which went to Adam Gase, and when people when people go to the tabloids and write stuff up about what happened to McCarthy in the job hunt, yeah, the word you're getting is that McCarthy presented a situation and opinions about staffing and hiring that the people hiring him found unacceptable. Oh, gosh. Yeah, just I that, didn't read that this. they didn't want to go along with his ideas for staffing. Interesting. And planning, and I tell you what, from from the amount of, like, very poor performances that have been tolerated on yeah. Mike McCarthy teams yeah. when it comes to like staffing and position coaching and such. Yeah. This is something that I'm assuming he was coming into a lot of these interviews going like, you're not going to have yeah, a lot of discretion on this stuff mm-hmm. because like we don't want you to hire Dom Capers. We don't want Dom Capers. We for don't want years. Ron Zook coming yeah. along with you. <laughs> they like, can't happen. Like we do not, we do not prefer these men. <laughs> these men are not. These men deserve to retire and live a happy, healthy life 
off of their previous paychecks and nothing more in the NFL. And, you know, there's no specific details as to, like, he was walking in with, like, Ron Zook on one arm and <laughs> Dom Cavers on the other arm. Here's the crew, the three musketeers. But it was very much like that they could not agree on yeah. staffing situations. Yeah. Which, when we were talking midway through the season about, like, how inflexible it seems that the Packers coaching and game planning had become, it really just adds another dimension to that and that you're sort of, it's almost alarming at that point of like, dude, are you listening to anyone? Yeah, no, no, no. it seems not. Just living on his own uh, mind. Yeah, no, the McCarthy staff kind of towards the end was a, a, a true mess. There was a few bright spots. Uh, Joe Witt and James Campen were always doing great jobs with their position groups. Uh, James Campen did an outstanding job as the offensive line coach for so many years um, and revolutionized the way that the Packers offensive line played. Uh, all of the complaints about the Packers holding all the time are thanks to James Campen finding a, a <laughs> nice little loophole in technique um, that can look like a hold but not actually be a hold and kind of give the Packers offensive line a little bit of extra uh, power and ability over the defensive line. Um Joe Wade always did such a great job with the defensive backs and working with guys who should not be in the NFL, like <laughs> straight up, and making them be viable. Um, Joe Wade was fired on Friday. Yeah, and Campen left for the Browns. So, yep. so some interesting places to replace. You do get Mike Patton back. You do get Mike Patton back, which I am very happy about, and yeah. I think Packers fans should be very happy about. That's some consistency. Uh, on the defensive side that I think is needed in the development of some of these young players that we saw break out, like uh, uh, Jair Alexander, and in the development of some of these young guys who are who learned a system last year who should probably stay with the system for at least two or three years, uh, like Josh Jackson. I think Josh Jackson starting to make that transition to man corner and playing in Petten's system. Uh, I don't think it would have been beneficial for Petten to leave and then have him have to learn another system uh, and try to become something else. Now you're in, yeah, I'm very glad he's back as well. Yeah. And I'm very glad that he's not some sort of McCarthy loyalist or yeah. something. A yeah. guy, a guy who immediately goes, well, if he's out, I'm out. That yeah. He's, he's, he's willing to stick it back in because wow, there's, there's a good effort yeah. from, from the Packers defense this yeah, year. Absolutely. And again, it was a season that ended up, you know, I, I did that thing where I'm like, do you know, the Packers played eight people at safety Yeah, last, yeah. last season they did. Uh, they played seven cornerbacks. They, they had to play a bunch of guys. Yeah. And it, it really started to impact the Packers defenses, like schemes down the stretch is that the Packers defense couldn't run those exotic, like, safety blitzes anymore because there wasn't anyone left on the backside that could cover like you couldn't with Kevin King out like if Eddie Pleasant's your strong safety like you don't really trust him in coverage anymore versus when it was haha Clinton Dix and uh I think I think actually overall though the the Packers really got to steal with that haha Clinton Dix trade I think they did I I think that at if if you had waited until the season concluded mm -hmm. and tried to make that move now, you would not get no chance. You would not get a fourth. No chance. I don't think that the I, I don't think Washington will resign him. I think I think he's gonna hit the market. And I think we just I think the Packers fleeced Washington out of a fourth round pick. We've seen fourth fourth round picks. It's always interesting that deep uh, the the draft works so differently in other in, in sports. Yeah. Because you think about you think you hear fourth round pick and if you're thinking at all in like a basketball context, yeah. you're like, man, second round picks don't even get minutes. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, a fourth round pick in the NFL, it really is like after about the second round, I think it really becomes a, a thing of, of, of the third round is kind of fringe contributors and projects. And from the fourth round on, it's you're looking for people that fit your scheme and your yep. uh, like athletic uh, profile and people that you think that you can develop into something in two or three years. And well, in the world of college football is so large in that frequently yeah. when you're drafting fourth rounders, you're drafting guys who have rewritten the record books yeah. at their colleges. Yeah. They just happen to not be colleges that you've ever seen on primetime ESPN mm -hmm. television. Yeah. No, yeah, for real. And I mean, like David Bakhtiari, fourth round pick. I think a Hall of Famer. I think an all-pro, a perennial all-pro and a Hall of Famer eventually. I think one of the best... Offensive lineman the Packers have ever had. Yeah, he's pretty good. Perhaps the best left tackle in football. Um, fourth round draft pick. Yep. So the thing is, is, like fourth rounders, you can consistently find quality players that deep into the draft. It's just about uh, searching them out. 
I mean, MV, M- Marcus Valdez Scantling, a basically day one contributor, EQ St. Brown, a second half contributor, uh, fourth and fifth rounders, Aaron Jones, a fourth rounder. It's lots of, there's lots, there's lots of very, very, very good football players in the NFL draft. Yes. And, and you never, the fun thing is, is that I don't even follow college at all. So I, everybody's new. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> is new. Like those are, those are frequently like work days or days off where I, I don't do, do football yeah, no. on Saturday. Saturday is not frequently not the college, a TV watching day mm-hmm. in my world. So getting exposed to these guys for the first time is always a lot of fun. Yeah. Because getting to, it's, it's just like a crapshoot. You're putting your, your hand into a, a hat and pulling out names. Yeah. And praying they turn into them. Yeah. And sometimes they're fun to say like Marquez Valdez Scantling. Or Equinemius St. <laughs> Brown. Yeah. Um, that was my digression about, about drafting and, yeah. and how it's neat. But yeah. LaFleur. LaFleur. New head coach. I like it's, it. Uh, do we have, uh, you know, of course, there was Fat Mike. Yeah. For, uh, for Mike yeah. McCarthy. Matt LaFleur is not fat. No, he's, he's, so he's, he's a good looking guy. He kind of looks like if, if Mike Vrabel was maybe a little bit less of a triangle, uh, rounded Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Yeah. If he was like Uh, smooth, smooth Vrabel, smooth Vrabel. Yeah. He's slightly, cause Mike, Mike Vrabel, and this has been the the way of him since he was a a player. Yeah. Yeah. It's just basically like a triangle, just a, a sharp, angry, aggressive (laughs) triangle. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't have a nickname for him yet. I appreciated Fat Mike because Fat Mike is, to me, will always be the singer of No Effects. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I make I'm I'm gonna make inscrutable music references yeah. on this podcast. No Effects. Uh, yeah, N O F X. Uh, Fat Fat Mike was their their singer. I believe he still is their singer. Um, they're just a. You know, one of those classic, like incredibly snotty '90s punk bands. They, the, you know, very fast. Everything was sort of irreverent. A, a, a band that, like, I, I believe they still exist, but like Ween, although a little bit more in your face, would be described as problematic now. Sure, like I can the, see that their subject material could be described as problematic. But um, yeah, I always appreciated that uh, Fat Mike. Whenever people said that, I was just made me think of like Mike McCarthy fronting like an incredibly snot-nosed punk band and like a pink mohawk and suspenders <laughs> and a tutu. Um, I'm going to take a break. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fine. That we I need we to should. do that. We'll talk about uh, the, the weekend in NFL games when we come back from this break. Before we go to the break, this is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland on Twitter at Cheesecagoland. I'm on Twitter at MP Fleischman. He's on Twitter at Melum Setter. Follow our Facebook group. It's called Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Um, a lot of fun things happened in the NFL this week, and I actually watched most of all the games for for once. Mm. I had the stomach flu, so I couldn't oh, man. do much. Yeah, it's my first day like up and about since uh, good since getting back into town midweek. I kind of got got set down for a minute, but plenty of time to watch NFL games. Good. Anyway, yeah, we're going to talk about it when we come back. Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Unpress the pause button. It's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Still the best podcast about the Green Bay Packers. I'm still Mike Fleischman. That's still Matt Malamsetter. Matt, have you ever listened to Meriwether Post Pavilion by yes. Animal Collective? I have. I tried. I listened to it for the very first time. Okay. Today. What did you think of it? Um, I was sort of underwhelmed. Yeah. By, I, I think honestly. I was too. Yeah. I, I like read a lot about how this is like the most mm-hmm. incredible album, like oh, yeah. number one on all these lists and stuff. And I, I I've said it bef- to you before a lot. I I don't really get music. I think I like music and I know what I like in music, but I don't really understand what makes music 
uh, influential or uh, uh, neat or cool or innovative. Um, I listened to it. I didn't really. Lo- I didn't really love it. It just. It just didn't really uh, connect with me. Yeah, I, I was wondering while I was listening to it, like if there was a a different era of my life, maybe a more disconnected or psychedelic era of my yeah. life that was happening before Animal Collective existed that that album might have found a place in for me. Uh-huh. But yeah, I just, I I knew that it was a conceptual project of yeah. like large swaths of sound and sort of dreamy in and out things and not a lot of like coherent phrasing and especially not a lot of like staccato sounds that it was sort of like a thing happens and then there are little drums underneath it yeah. and like four guys are like, singing different parts around it like mm-hmm. i knew that's what it was going into it but i don't know i expected dynamics like i expected some parts to be loud mm-hmm. some parts to be soft and i expected swells of some kind and it's kind of just all it's kind of just happens yeah it's kind of all like flat it's kind of like all mm-hmm. along a plane and everything's consistently happening along this line yeah yeah to me it felt like i was just going through a block of music sure and it didn't really distinguish itself a lot, which, yeah, I like minimal albums as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Boards of Canada's uh, Music Has the Right to Children is probably one of my favorite favorite things of the last couple of decades. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to come back on, on Meriwether sure. Post Pavilion sure. chat. That's because uh, <laughs> and I was just kind of walking in here as it was finishing up second time through it. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. No. Yeah. What'd you think of that Ben Howard stuff I sent you? I do like that a lot. It's really good. Yeah. I, I like, I like that particular flavor of pop music. That sort of, it's, it's got a, a driving rhythm to it, mm-hmm. but it's still, and it's, it's got the right amount of production and the right amount of, of noise and ambiance to it, but there's still a nice solid core. Yeah. In in the songwriting and that's performed really well. He's really sharp. Yeah, it's cool. Yep. Uh NFL podcast. Uh this weekend in the NFL was actually really good. It was. And I don't know why I'm stalling to get to it because it was it was very enjoyable. Saturday's games were particularly great. I mean Sunday had to blow out to open the day, but yeah. uh, Saturday's games were were, were pretty good. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you've heard of this guy, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, I don't know if you were aware that um, Mitch Trubisky actually had a better stat line than him. No, in his first NFL game. No, I, I saw I saw a tweet that was putting their stat lines back to back, and then asked the question: One of these guys is getting a lot more media attention than the other one, and uh, and. That's because one of those guys is Patrick Mahomes. One of them had 50 touchdown yeah. passes. And is the other one good. had less than half of that. And the other one is Mitch Trubisky, who is not very good at all. Yeah. Like, and just if, if you want like a nice illustration of why Pat Mahomes is not Mitch Trubisky and Mitch Trubisky is not Pat Mahomes, watch... Mahomes' highlights from any quarter of this game. Just take a real small sample size of like, like allow yourself the ability to think like, well, he couldn't have been all that spectacular in this quarter. Like, he's not spectacular all the time. Now, he's spectacular all the time. Yeah, no, he's spectacular. You can't throw 50 touchdown passes in a year if you're not spectacular basically every time you step onto a field. Uh Mahomes' ability to read like rolling coverages and adjust to it on the fly and everything is just outstanding. It's it's teams will like show blitz and act like they're bringing the house and roll into like a cover three cloud or something. And Mahomes will know what they're rolling into, know their tendencies, know where the ball goes if they roll into a cover three, if they roll into a cover two, if they stay with the blitz. He's got all his hot reads assigned. He knows exactly where he's going with the ball all of the time and has the arm strength and the ability to make some of the wackiest, craziest throws I've ever seen. He is, I think one of the things that differentiates him 
from just just a chucker or a guy who played in a prolific offense that threw a lot of touchdown passes Mm -hmm. is that he created those touchdown passes earlier in the drive by throwing a no-look sidearm check down. Yeah, yeah. Or throwing it over a defensive end or threw it falling back or was moving to his right, jumped, turned his body in the jump to face the other direction and then arm strength it in the right direction. And then it's... (laughs) Uh, the announcers like to say, like, oh, he throws across his body all the time, which, yeah, he kind of does, but actually he just turns his body he, he just in a place where shoulder. you don't think it was possible or in a time frame yeah. where you don't think it was possible for him to have done that because his feet theoretically weren't on the ground, and then he, then he did it anyway. He's insane. Uh, the Chiefs beat the crap out of the Colts. It was 24-7 uh, to 7 at halftime and 31-13. At the end of it, it ends a good run for the Colts, yeah. who... Uh, the Chiefs' defense just came to play in this one. It had snowed. They were at home. They were uh, they were scrapping around in the mud. Yeah, they had a real good time. The Colts weren't weren't able to do anything. I was hoping that this game was going to be an Andrew Luck, Pat Mahomes gunslinger performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mahomes delivered it. Yeah, but Luck and the Luck and the Colts were able to do absolutely nothing. They didn't score. Um, more than a single touchdown until the fourth quarter where they got more points. But um, the Chiefs were fantastic. They scored on their first two drives. Just just a just a machine, and they're going into a matchup against the Patriots. Spoilers for Sunday's games. But um if the Chiefs defense is boy, working, they're really good. Yeah, if they if they work I mean that's that's so a defense that was pretty consistently ranked around the bottom of the NFL mm-hmm. this year. So if they can stay uh, effective for two more games, Chiefs can have a real serious chance of winning the Super Bowl. But we've seen uh, Bill Belichick knows how to, uh, I guess, spoiler for Sunday's game, Bill Belichick knows how to uh, scheme up a defense against a young, up-and-coming quarterback. We've seen him do it against uh, Andrew Luck. We've seen him do it against Mark Sanchez back in the day. We've seen him do it just about any time they play a, a young AFC quarterback quarterback who's the young the prodigal son the golden child bill belichick knows how to uh put them back on their feet put them back in the right place i don't i don't know they they definitely yeah the the off you know the offensive game plan from the patriots is going to go after every weakness that that the that the chiefs have but at the same time like Pat Mahomes has been spending his entire season not like sort of erasing the deficiencies of completely overcompensating. Yeah, just completely overcompensating it. Um, Also, how about Damian Williams? Yeah, really good in this game. Of course, Kareem Hunt is is released because he's just awful. Yeah, and and so they're trying to move on and forget about forget about that guy. And boy, Damian Williams did a fantastic job in this. He's a He's got a burst. He can really pick a hole and and accelerate yeah. through it. Um, it's a it's a real interesting team. Kansas City, the turnaround, and you know Andy Reid, Bill Belichick for an AFC Championship game. Man, that's all right. That's, yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty good. good. That's a pretty good matchup. So that was that was game number one on Saturday. Um, the Rams beat the Cowboys. Uh, both both home teams held serve on Saturday. The uh, the Rams took a 21-7 lead into halftime, held on to it. Um, Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson, who is uh, who is one of those a, uh, a bowling ball. I was yeah, bowling ball, a bouncing ball. He just kind of he doesn't necessarily run over everyone. He just kind of like runs into them and bounces off and yep. keeps going. Yeah, he's so much fun to watch run. Uh, he had a great night. C.J. Anderson had 23 carries, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Los Angeles can just get you in almost every single way. Uh, I mean, Todd Gurley had 16 carries and 115 yards in this game. I mean, it wasn't like it was just C.J. Anderson running the ball. L.A. had two 100-yard rushers. It, they just are so good in every single direction and in every single dimension. Uh, their defense is a little bit spotty, but uh, their offense is just overpowering. If we get to see a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl, uh, they might score 100 points. I mean, they're just... 
they're just predicated around like the the bigger play, not the not the home run play. No, yeah. But the bigger play, if you look at the long play for uh, for these guys on Los Angeles, C.J. Anderson's longest carry was 15 yards. Gurley's longest carry was 35. So immediately you've got like 50 yards of offense just out of the longest plays out of those guys. And then add to that, uh, Woods' longest catch was 18 yards. Cook's longest catch was 21. Higby's was 19. Reynolds was 19. So that's another. Mm-hmm. And you've almost got... Uh, if I could do math, you've got almost like 140 yards of offense yeah. just out of the longest plays yeah. from each of these guys. That's uh, That flipped the field a couple of times right there. Yeah, and it, it's not a reliance on shot plays. It's a reliance on like 15-yard routes. It's, it's, yeah. it's getting guys the ball in space and letting them run and create 15 yards out of a three-yard reception. It's putting them in a position to make a play and not necessarily trying to make the play for them. And it maximizes Jared Goff's strengths as well, because yeah. boy, he can hit a moving target. Oh God, he can he can. Jared Goff is is outstanding, and we we saw him in this game move a little bit. He had six rushes for twelve yards. He had a big time uh, quarterback keeper where he had the option on kind of one of the last plays to pick up a first down. It's, I think this Rams offense, which was helped, which was partially designed <clears throat> by Matt Lafleur. Uh, in his time with Sean McVay, I think this Rams offense is really a great uh, kind of image of how the Packers offense will function next season with kind of Todd Gurley operating as this slashing, or with in the Rams offense, Todd Gurley operating as this kind of slashing outside runner who can bust it inside and catch the ball, um, mimicked by Aaron Jones with kind of that C.J. Anderson bowling ball type running back mimic, mimicked by Jamal Williams. Um, and Jared Goff's ability to hit a target from anywhere on the field uh, moving at any speed and put it wherever they want it is so reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers. Meanwhile, the Dallas Cowboys could not run against Los Angeles's front, mm-hmm. which is their their other their other secret weapon is is yeah. they've got uh, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue up front. Uh, they ran Ezekiel Elliott at it twenty times. They got forty seven yards out yeah. of that. It's difficult. Um, and the Dante Fowler uh, acquisition over the yeah. season was huge as well. Of course, Dak Prescott is is pretty good, and he was able to uh, get some get some receivers open. But yeah. um, they were playing from behind the entire game and just weren't able to get it done. Uh, Cowboys did better than expected this year. Absolutely, and I it it sucks for the Cowboys that they're going to be stuck with um, Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan for a <laughs> few more years now because of this. But <laughs> man, I don't know. I've never known what to feel about Jason Garrett. Because I, I think he's been hamstrung by having, I think, very low-key, one of the worst owners Yeah, no, there. I don't think it's low-key. I think one of the worst owners. Like, I, don't, I, think I just any, don't meet a lot of people who, who like agree with me on that. Any owner that tries to get into the football side of things is a bad owner. It, 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 and it, this, hey, I'm throwing these shots at Mark Murphy, too, now. All right. Because Mark Murphy's getting involved in the day-to-day aspects of the football team and I don't well, I don't want that. I don't think I think anytime an owner is playing in the football side of the operations, I think that needs to be left to the general manager. I think that needs to be left to the head coach. I think that needs to be left to the scouting department, the training department, the football people. Not the guy who pays the checks, not the guy who runs the business. Because when those start to mix is when you're not going to see success on the football side anymore. It was when it was when Jones was like quadrupling down on, on Greg fucking Hardy. Yeah. That that I was just like I realized that you would be better served by having the uh, the the uh, the pistol tote and Texas oil man from the Simpsons. Yeah, no, like literally your anyone. team just like barging into the door, being like, "Yeah, let's get it done." Because like at least that guy wouldn't be like parading around like a notorious and and very obvious yeah violent creep. Yeah, in front of the the Violent. media and the rest of the team, and going like, "This is the guy." Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Was he actually? Did he ever? Was he ever convicted of of that? I hope he's. I certainly hope he was. He was suspended a few times. Yeah, but like he he put this guy out in front of like the team and the media, and and you know he told the team like, "This is your teammate, and you have to like him because I spent money on him." You know, and he told the media, "Well, you know, this is this is the path I'm going down," and at uh, that point. It's like you gotta. Yeah, he was found guilty of assault and oh, communicating threats good. in 2014. Yeah. Um, 
violent criminal and creep. Uh, in 2015, he was suspended for 10 games. Um, then they were expunged from his record in 2015. Ah. But then in 2016, he was arrested for cocaine possession. So now All he, around just a cool guy. Now he fights in the MMA, in the UFC. So, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I don't really care. I was I was so impartial on, on the Cowboys, but yeah, yeah, old old Jerry Jones. Old Jerry Jones, I don't like him. I hope yeah. he never wins. I hope he never feels the the joy of winning. Well he's he's into Jason Garrett. He's into Jason Garrett, and that means that he never will feel the, the joy of winning. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> All right. Um go on to Sunday. Uh the the Patriots <laughs> beat the shit out of the Chargers. <laughs> Rushed them. Just, oh, God. It was hard to watch. I think the, the Chargers brought the Lamar Jackson game plan. Yeah, and it doesn't and make Gillette. us what, You can't run zone against Tom Brady. No. No matter what you do, you will get torn to shreds. Tom Brady completes about 70% of his passes when he's facing cover three, and the Chargers ran basically cover three all game until, like, the second half uh, when they started to switch it up into man. And at that point, they were down 35-7, to seven. And that's would, too much. Would not have enough possessions no, that's to come not back. En- that's not enough time. Um, it's not enough time against a team like the like the New England Patriots, who know how to close out a game as well as they do. Uh, meanwhile, Sonny Michelle just took it right right at him. Yeah. Another 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 random running back that. Uh, yeah, a great a great draft that is just found found and and performs for Belichick. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing the way they pick personnel. Yeah, I mean, they took him pretty high. I think he was a first or second round draft pick. Yeah, like I don't. Yeah, yeah, when I say random, I don't mean so much of like just you know just buddy. Yeah, just anybody. I mean, they selected a guy, and he turned out to be fantastic, and he's productive for them. Yeah, he he was uh, this year's thirty first overall draft pick. Um, had nine hundred thirty one yards in the season, six touchdowns. It's pretty pretty dang good in. Tom Brady's waning years as he plays uh, kind of consistently worse, and we see his arm degrade. Um, New England's done a fantastic job of equipping him with weapons at every position and getting him a good running back in Sonny Michelle um, and getting wide receivers or attempting to bring in wide receivers that are good, like Josh Gordon. Uh, James White had 15 catches. What the f- What is that? For 97 yards. What is that? That's insane. That's how you break a cover three. Yeah, that's how you break you a cover three. You do not three. get the safeties involved. Is you just complete? You just throw everything underneath. Is you just dump yeah. everything down and pick, take the eight yards that they're giving you on every single play. Yep, because they're trying to take away the deep pass. That hey, guess what? Tom Brady didn't have the arm to throw the ball more than thirty yards oh. anymore. Just so, bring it up. Let him try. Let him try and throw it deep. He can't. It's his arm shot now. And. Of course, the the Chargers are going to be good next year. Yeah, they'll be good for the foreseeable future. A lot of their guys but are such low. low it low is a shame numbers. to see Philip Rivers just never be able to make that that deep run. Yeah, into the playoffs because uh, he's like a cartoon ver- character version of a quarterback. Yeah, and I've always liked him for that. He's 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 a character. Yeah, he's he's goofy. He has like nine kids. He's a He's an odd man. He's just an odd man who plays quarterback and yep. gets so mad at everything. Yep. I, I love watching Philip Rivers play because he just reams every referee that he sees and every offensive lineman that he has. You're not safe. It doesn't He's matter so who you cranky. are. It doesn't oh God. It doesn't matter who you are, he will just scream at you. You're you're never uh safe from Philip Rivers. He'll find you on the other side of the stadium and rip your head off if you miss a block. And Yet at the same time, like you'll also see him like smiling, yeah, and laughing and joking around with these same guys. And you're like, what? And that's to establish that to where like, like he can just like chew you apart, yeah. And you'll like the guy for it. And you're like, okay, you're like, right. He's, I was wrong. He's doing something. He's 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 playing a dangerous game and yeah. winning. And it's a game he's been playing for a long time. He's so been I've, playing for like. 15 years now. Yeah, I've just I've just always sort of valued valued him being in the league cuz he's he's a strange man and he's pretty good at being a quarterback. So, but yeah, it'll, he had he had absolutely no absolutely chance. no chance. Yeah. No. Anthony and Landon Gus Edwards devised a terrible game plan for this and Philip Rivers had no chance. And then the nightcap. Saints Eagles um 
we, we bid farewell we to, uh, to large Richard Nick Foles. Uh, <laughs> miss you, buddy. Yeah, we're going to miss you, buddy. Please enjoy getting a lot of money from yeah, oh some my. team next year. He's going to get like 15, 20 million a year. Next so year. much money. I mean, do you think there's a cousin-sized contract coming his way from someone? I don't know if there's anybody uh, on the market who can pay a cousin-sized contract for a quarterback that needs a quarterback. I think he's getting $15 million a year, $20 million a year maybe. I think he's getting a good, good, good payday from a team. I don't know. Maybe like Jacksonville or somebody who thinks that they're one piece away from being a contender. And that piece is a uh, large Richard Nick Foles. Denver Broncos? Maybe Denver Broncos. I think they can Tampa scoot Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Buccaneers maybe. I, think, I mean. I think the Broncos can scoot out from underneath that Chase Keenum contract. Or Case Keenum yep. contract this year. I think they only. I think they had the option. For uh, look what year. Arians and Carson Palmer managed to do. Yeah. I think. I think a pro like Nick Foles. Yeah. Could. God. Could change the the Buccaneers around. And Nick Foles. Hey, Nick Foles will have no second thoughts of taking those Bruce Arians shots. Arians loves to throw that ball yep. deep, and Nick Foles also loves to throw that ball yeah. deep. Uh, the Eagles. Really, the story of this game is one thing. It should be another thing. And that other thing is that the Saints defense shut the door yeah, on, on the Philadelphia Eagles so after Philadelphia just smacked 14 points up on the board in the first quarter. Yeah. Saints defense closed the door after that and uh, then just relied on Drew Brees and, and Alvin Kamara and uh, Mark Ingram and all these guys to just get it done after that. Yeah. Uh, and they did. Yeah. M- Michael Thomas, uh, Saints receiver, had more yards receiving in the second half than the Eagles did offense. Um, he hit, Michael Thomas finished with 171 yards, one touchdown on 12 seconds. Yeah. I think he had like 140 in the second half. Yep. Outrageous. Uh, it's The Saints are so special, and I think they're the only team in left in the NFL playoffs that has both a terrific offense and a terrific defense. Is We've seen when the Saints' offense has struggled this year that their defense has been able to just absolutely take over games. And the Chiefs have a bad defense. The Patriots are a little bit iffy on both offense and defense. Uh, Belichick, of course, will be able to scheme around whatever deficiencies they have. And the Rams have been a little bit iffy on defense as well. So it's 2019. Yeah. We have a reality show president. Yeah. And the Saints have a good defense. Yeah. What's happened? We're living in the mirror reality. Yeah. Yeah, are, are we are we in a are we in a different place? Yeah, we we ah God, I stepped into the is, wrong is time. Is Doc line. Brown going to explain to me on a chalkboard yeah, how he's we coming skewed into a, an alternate 1985? Um, but yeah, that um, this was a game in which, boy, if you like watching quarterbacks who have a quick release time, yeah. this game has it for you. Yeah. Uh, Drew Brees, his mechanics have been been perfect for twenty years now. Since the moment he walked yeah. into the league, uh, Nick Foles, his mechanics aren't perfect. Mm-mm. He's a little bit more of an improviser than Drew Brees, but boy, he just flips it. He, he's, Nick Foles is just so funny to watch to me. He's just it's it, he never throws a perfect spiral. It's like always nope. it's always a little bit wobbly, but it's always right where it has to go. It's always the right throw. And even even like last even last night against the in the Eagle Saints game, there's ball to Nelson Aguilar where it's the perfect read. He throws a back shoulder ball to Nelson Aguilar who just misses it. He hasn't made his break yet. And the, the Saints brought like seven, uh, brought like a cover one, um, and throws it to Aguilar on an inside breaking route on his uh, back shoulder and just is a perfect ball. But it's just wobbling and it's yep. You know you know the thing that the thing that I yelled at the TV. More than any other thing, mm-hmm. this this year when watching the Packers was get rid of it. Yeah, just get rid of the ball. Get rid of it. Um, you, I'm not trying to directly compare Rodgers and Foles here. Yeah, but when you watch Nick Foles, you never yell "get rid of it." It's go- it's getting out because he already did. Yeah, no, because it, it's gone. I just that's another thing. Like I appreciate Rivers because he's goofy, and I appreciate Nick Foles because. He makes a decision. Yeah. He steps off the cliff. And this game ended on what was looking to be a momentum-building final drive. Mm-hmm. The Eagles had worked it into Saints territory, and he hit Alshon Jeffrey on the hands. 
with a pass that would have had him set up. And it bounced off Alshon Jeffrey's hands. Uh, NFC North watchers will recognize that. Yeah, he only had two drops this year. So uh, yep. unsurprising, but yeah, surprising, but it's, it's bad news. I mean, you recognize it because that's old Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, that's that Bears. is NFC North Alshon Jeffrey. There is Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, the you know the pass dropper, the the concentration laps, and boy, it was it was tough to see that again mm-hmm. because the Eagles are a fun story, and yeah. and Alshon Jeffrey was part of that fun story in yeah. that he was kind of not exactly picked up off the scrap heap because he was always regarded as a guy who was still on his way up. Yeah, in his career he had really progressed yeah since he was with the bears at the just the absolute nadir of what the bears were yeah like he was the best player on just awful just off terrible awful teams. teams with awful coaching yeah and and bad management and he went he to philadelphia to philadelphia and became consistent yeah and became became a very good player and a contributor and boy it's tough because it shows you how hard it is for us to forget stuff because you watch that and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's Al what he Sean does. Jeffrey, yeah, that's that's his deal. When it it hasn't been his deal for a long time now, mm-hmm. and and now it just happened on on that was the biggest that was the biggest play of his career. Yeah, and that's that's hard. I feel for the guy because yeah, it's, it's hard to come back from. Yeah, that. it's hard to it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to hard to get hard to get back on track and have a next play mentality. Because, you know, I'm not the only one who remembers him as a Chicago Bear. He also remembers it. (laughs) But that's the that's the slate of games. Uh, The Saints are going to play the Rams. That game that game is going to be absolutely awesome. And the Chiefs are going to play the Patriots, and that game is going to also be awesome. Uh, The postseason is working out. Yeah, postseason is great. It's we've got the one and two seeds in both both conferences. going up against each other in the championship game, I think we've got kind of the best matchups that we could have. I think no matter how this ends up, I think we're going to have a great Super Bowl. Yeah, Breeze on one side, Brady on the other versus Mahomes and Goff. (sighs) Yeah, it's going to be old versus young, young versus young, or old versus old. I don't know. The NFL is pretty good. Yeah, right now it is. Yeah. I... I have been I've been rightfully and very deservedly hard on the NFL. We were hard on it all through the off season as we were kind of mm-hmm. revving up the engine on this on this show for being managerially and politically a bullshit operation. Yeah, that plays towards bullshit politics and has incredibly bullshit ideas about uh, labor, player safety, uh, long term commitments. Um, and also it, they have a, a very parasitic relationship with, uh, with the NCAA college football, Mm -hmm. which is probably one of the single worst organizations for sports in, in the world rivaled possibly only by FIFA (laughs) in its level of absolute corruption, mismanagement and, and, and such. And one of the reasons why I'm so mad at the NFL is that like the game itself is pretty compelling. Yeah. The game it's itself is good. great. It, football itself is incredible, and it's 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 a game that's so meticulous, and it's something that I, I've been really getting a hold of as I've been reading a lot about this Matt Lafleur stuff and uh, reading about kind of the teams that he's coached on and where he's come from and where his influences lie and everything like that. Like le- reading about how Sean McVay coaches uh, is very interesting. Is he's working with every single position group on footwork on where your hands go if you're a defensive back if you're a wide receiver what your footwork should be on your release it's down to the tiniest little things that give you an advantage and blown up to the grand ideas of play design and of team building and of all of that football is so alluring it's it's so much of like personnel management it comes down to so many different factors that i think so many different people can find something in the game, uh, whether it is like well, the actual yeah. competition and of the sports and of the competing or in like the grander scale year to year, like roster building and building of a championship team and everything. I, I, I think 
all around, football is a great sport. And it sucks that the NFL is so fucking terrible. <laughs> it's it's also the 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 uh, the pinnacle, like the ultimate distillation of the incredibly specific things that you teach in football. Yeah, I, I worked in high school football. It's not quite so specific. Yeah, there there are certainly there are certainly some col- some high school football teams that you watch and they're. And they have position group coaches mm-hmm. and they have a lot of staff and they get very specific. But I think I had some of the most fun talking with with coaches after games and off the record mm-hmm. about about uh, about their guys and what they do and how they how they get the right guys on the field. And everyone's going to stay anonymous for this. It's, like, it's just but some of these observations of like, you know, heck, I just want these guys to like not have ice cream for breakfast yeah. you know that kind of yeah. level of sentiment of like yeah some of these guys we work with footwork drills and some of these guys we work with like you know, running drills some of them we teach fundamentals to like some of them we try to keep standing yeah <laughs> yeah and and that's like that stuff is fun but the nfl level is so so advanced yeah it's it's so like hyper specific and so I mean, there's passing game coordinators, there's the wide receivers coaches, quarterbacks coaches, every the assistant quarterbacks coaches, assistant wide receivers coaches, assistant tight ends coaches, assistant O line men. Every every single type of position group has its own like coaching hierarchy within it, and everybody's looking for one thing, and it's so small. And football can also be blown up to this big mess of a game, and. Credit where it's due. The NFL yeah. did not find themselves during the regular season this year drawn into some stupid political debate with our reality television show president. And who's just mad that they wouldn't let him buy a team because yeah. they knew he'd ruin it. Yeah. It's amazing how many things with that guy go back to some grudge yeah, no. from like the 1980s. He wanted, he wanted to buy the Cowboys, decided that $50 million for the Cowboys was too, was too much. The NFL told him that you can't buy another team. <laughs> now the Cowboys are worth a billion dollars. You'd bat it you, everything. Somehow they thought Jerry Jones was going to be a better owner than Donald Trump, and somehow they were right. <laughs> they were right. Because <laughs> Donald Trump <laughs> destroyed his own football league. <laughs> it's, it's cool when that happens. It's a... Uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, in 2019, it's cool to be awesome. Yeah, no, it's great to be awesome. <laughs> that's that's my motto. I'm sticking to it. Uh, this is Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's always a pleasure. But my, I guess my bigger point is that like there wasn't there wasn't any tabloid controversy this year. I I, I felt yeah. like the NFL wisely found out that their their players actual politics and preferences were not like endless salutes to the troops and player flyovers. And there was still some bullshit along those lines, Mm -hmm. but it was quieter. Yeah. They still like, and this is, this to me is stupid mainly for aesthetic reasons. There was like several games where the coaches were all wearing knockoff sort of military uniforms. That was so stupid. On the sidelines. Hey, don't do that again. Those looked so dumb. Those looked awful. And, also, so like you don't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. That's neither the military nor the NFL needs that. Is is my point here? And look, like NFL, like you're not getting paid enough from the Department of Defense to make them wear that kind of stuff. No, like um, like you're getting like ten million dollars a year. Like y'all don't need it. Yeah, you don't. Um, <coughs> yeah, no one really needs that in any direction because that was no, that's, just that's ruined- pretty pointless. There, there are not. There are not comparisons to be drawn, which I think was kind of what bugged me about it in the first place is that I think the the army really liked the association of like, well, these are our gridiron warriors, warriors. and the NFL and I think specifically Roger Goodell, yeah. who's sort of a, a you know, a, a butt kisser and a military wannabe man. Yeah. Also really wanted that that like we are the gridiron warriors kind of reputation. And you just don't need that 
you're a sports league. Yeah. I think a lot of I'm I'm disseminating now because I'm just I've had enough coffee, but I think I think we can have a fun sports league where we like are all very like where it's specific and highly detailed. It is an intellectual and a physical pursuit. It is, you know, highly refined, highly specific, highly skilled, and also incredibly competitive and violent without it having to be constantly compared to actual warfare. Yeah. Or, or having to be politically aligned. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, ha- or needing to have political alignment. Absolutely. Like you don't, like we, we can, can just... have a good product. We can have a good product. Everyone can, like it can be something that actually benefits people. Yeah, it can be a a a, a an actual sport instead of a just a big advertisement for the Department of Defense. And I, yeah, I think we took a small half step towards that this yeah. year. Yeah, and I, I think I, it'll only get better when Goodell is no longer the yeah commissioner. So. And this is also not me not me saying I don't want like I don't want politics from players because I still do. No, that yeah, no. Yeah. I just mean like politics from the NFL itself. We don't need yeah. I do want the politics of the players. I just mean like the NFL doesn't need to politically align itself with a uh, particular uh, party, a particular viewpoint, a particular uh military opinion. Um the NFL can stay out of that. We don't need Roger Goodell voicing opinions for the players and shutting the players down because of what the league wants to align itself with. And we also don't need those camo hoodies. And we really, really... With the little nameplates on. really do not need the camo hoodies. Let's not do that. All right, that's going to do it this week. We got a we got a good one in the can here. We'll be back next week talking about uh, champion uh, championship week results these these are going to be good games uh thank you for listening to cheeseheads in chicagoland uh i'm mike fleischman that's still matt mellum setter okay. and uh we we need a head cheesehead of the week for uh for these games um uh Taysom hill Ooh, Taysom hill yeah i think it's got to be former packers that are on you see that that it was called back for a holding but he threw a touchdown pass did he really to I didn't Camara on a wheel route. It was called back for holding. And he just dropped a strike yeah, on He him. was good. I loved Taysom Hill. I want to see Taysom Hill in a Super Bowl. Taysom Hill Super Bowl MVP. Cheesehead of the year. Oh. Cheesehead of the freaking <laughs> decade. Cheesehead of the freaking decade. All right, so uh, that's your head cheesehead of the week, Taysom Hill. Um, until next week when we come back, people should stay cheesy, baby.